Hello and welcome to The Real Show. My name is Murray. I'm with my co-host Corey. Hello. Hello. And today we're bringing you a new guest, a new interview. Yes, that's right. We've got a special guest from the world of cinema. It's the director of Tear Me Apart and The Adjustment and several other short films. It's Alex Lightman. Alex Lightman is going to talk to us about his new film and video game, an FMV interactive media experience, Nightbook, brought to you from Wales Interactive and Goodgate Media. Nightbook comes out on all the platforms, PS4, Xbox One and Nintendo Switch on July 27th. So I hope you enjoy the interview with him. Uh, we talked to him for uh, about an hour about everything from his feature film to his short films and his involvement in directing this very unique story. So we hope you enjoy. First of all, I think the first thing to say is congratulations on Nightbook. It's a tremendous success. The best of uh, the best of words. Congratulations. It's amazing. It's fantastic. Thank you very much. It's very kind of you. Yes. Um, of course, the first thing uh, I'd like to ask is what sort of, what was your main influences? What did you sort of draw from when you, when you put the pen to paper and thought, I'm going to create this, this interactive cinematic experience, this game, where did that sort of come from for you? Um, so uh, I was, I was born to direct. I didn't write it. Um, Megan Jones wrote it. Um, and she, um, she has some experience with, being an interpreter um, and there's obviously lots of great opportunities in the interactive space for difficult decisions surrounding how you interpret or translate someone and and um, producer John also identified that it was obviously a really great opportunity for some really nice difficult ethical dilemmas mm-hmm. to come out of um, interactive but I was brought on during sort of the development process, uh, I guess, to sort of help shape the story. And the thing that really attracted me to it was the idea that at the very core of it, you've got, you know, a a woman who's just trying to do what's what she believes is best for her family. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's just desperately trying to keep everything in control. Um, whether or not she's successful, that is another matter. But um, I guess for me... Uh, I mean, my references really came more out of the movie world than the um, the games world, being a film director or coming from being a film director into the game space. Um, and I know it's kind of a kind of, it's almost got an obvious reference, but, and everyone, everyone aspires to this when they make a horror film, but The Shining was a really great mm-hmm. reference for me, um, namely because I feel like that's about what people do to each other to hurt each other rather than you know an abstract other entity i think it's all about you know like what we're capable of the horror within rather than the horror coming from outside so that that was the thing that really drew me to it um yeah mm-hmm. and how did you find that um how did you find that directing experience how did that sort of um of course you're working with people uh, like colin salmon and the other actors, how did you find, especially during lockdown, how did you find that directorial experience working with these actors and being sort of on, on set, as it were, I, I use air quotes for that, but um, how did you find that experience? I mean, it was pretty wild. Um, I'm currently sat in the room where I was on set in the yes. um, for, you know, the whole of production. I mean, everyone on this all the actors and crew and everyone were amazing because we were we were you know shooting in very unusual circumstances 
Mm-hmm. Uh, the camera gear was sent out to the actors. They had to set it up themselves. You know, obviously we helped guide them do that. Yeah. Um, they had to set up their own lights. Uh, Colin, bless him, completely overtook a room in the back of his garden, spent a week doing all the art design and everything. Like, he really went to town. It was fantastic. Um, so, yeah, it was just so lucky to have, well, great a great cast who were really excited about the format of it being interactive up for the challenge mm. and also you know really excited to kind of get stuck in and take on roles that they wouldn't usually have to do you know you don't usually have to be their own clapper loader or their own sound person or any of this stuff so mm. yeah, that was really cool um and you know what what people don't tell you is the secret to getting really good performances out of good actors is to just hire really good actors i mean that's that helps considerably so no they were a real pleasure and honor to work with and um the enthusiasm and energy they brought every day was amazing so in in that sense it made my job quite easy in some ways yeah yeah it must have it's really good to have uh, a cast that sort of gels together and you find that they sort of you find it works quite naturally when you have people who are in the role and it feels right and it looks right as well and especially things like I know set design you especially in lockdown you can't always control but you find like like you said uh, Colin Salmon Carl Vito is in this um, sort of workshop area and there's paintings and drawings all behind him and um, Lyland's dad's room is covered wall to wall in the very sort of sketchy uh, designs as well there's very horror style and um I think that's I think that's a real testament to um, what you've achieved. So congratulations! Yeah, I mean, congratulations. Think about it as well. It was pretty crazy because when we were casting for it, we had no idea what these people's houses were going to be like, right? <laughs> mm. and that's where they were shooting, and we we had to match, for example, Alexis, um, who was played by Mark. We can get um, Julie's sorry, Laurelin's father in the story. Mm. You know, we cast Julie Dre as Laurelin and she was in Paris in yeah. a flat uh, with white walls and a slope ceiling and all the rest of it. And then we were like, right, OK, well, we've got to match this to someone who we haven't got yet. <laughs> um, and we they could live in, you know, a Versailles-like palace for all we know. Who knows? Um, and Mark was great. We got very lucky, um, you know, really because he had a room that had a slope ceiling which i think really sells it but and covering the walls obviously helps a lot yeah um, but yeah matching those spaces was was fun and games um but yeah i think we got and let's put it this way it, we're quite lucky at the moment that white walls are on trend <laughs> um it's a nice blank canvas if we were back in like imagine being in the 70s or something way too everyone has floral wallpaper it might have been a different yeah different story there but still, it's um, you mentioned the format, and that's one thing that um, the game really sells itself on is the, the sort of the choose your own adventure style, which has been um, brought on by a lot of mediums. But the way it's done in Nightbook, I find particularly interesting because it definitely brings up the tension. It's definitely there's um, and every choice has consequences. That butterfly effect. Uh, how did you find that would sort of shape the story while you were directing? Uh, it's a lot to hold in your head yeah uh, as I'm sure you can imagine um it was really important to us that 
every decision you make, like you said, does matter. Um, mm. And, you know, working with Goodgate Media and Wells Interactive, that's something, you know, they're beginning to really understand about these, um, these FMVs. And that's what really, I think, mm. elevates them above, you know, being a story that where you have some decisions to, you know, a story where your decisions matter, where there is a sort of element of success or failure for the player. Mm. And I think that's where the, the games thing comes in versus film. You know, you can't win a film. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you can win a game or mm. such as the idea or fail a game or, you know, or yeah. everything in between. Um, but holding it in our heads and, and having it all charted out beforehand was, was challenging because, of course, sometimes you might have come from something awful having happened. Um, mm. And that scene has to obviously work from a performance perspective to be coherent with that. Yeah. So, you know, that same moment might be played out slightly differently because you've come on from a kind of minor success that your character's had. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's trying to balance all these different routes and different eventualities um, so that every path you play is a coherent and, you know, fulfilling and, uh, you know, emotionally building stories so that you have a, a, you know, great story, whatever way you go, whether you are successful or, or not, in inverted commas. Mm -hmm was super important to me um hopefully we've managed it but it is it's is a headache in, in yes <laughs> it must be it must be um, yeah I mean, before i pass over to my uh, co-host corey for a minute i'm just gonna inquire about um the post-production process because with a video game and even with a film it takes quite a while to develop and get everything set up so i'm sure you had quite a team of editors what was that like overseeing that process uh, again, it was pretty wild because I, I, you know, I never, I've never met my editor in person, mm. you know, like ever, and that's a very close relationship. Um, uh, Alex and, and her name was Alex as well, which was confusing, um, but she was amazing. She really took on the challenges of it. It was a really difficult edit because we really went for it with the user interface and the, and the, you know, the story taking place on a computer screen which added a whole other dimension to it. Um, and we had a very fast turnaround, but she was just brilliant. And yeah, trying to keep track of everything, trying to keep things consistent, making sure that when you go from one clip to the next, it would work. I mean, she, I mean, she is the complete unsung hero of this, of this movie. Like she really went above and beyond. Um, and it, yeah, she said she did such a fantastic, I cannot speak highly enough about the editor. She really just, took with it took it and ran with it and um yeah she was great so that was it was tough and um then doing all the music remotely and all the visual effects remote everything was remote and it was just it was kind of interesting like there was nothing about this film that was normal <laughs> <laughs> nothing um but that's great and that, i think that's really cool because it just shows you that what what is normal there's a lot of sort of assumptions we make as filmmakers about how things should be done and how we should do things and i think what this has taught me is that is that always the right way of doing it is that always the best way of doing it not necessarily yeah. sometimes yes um but not necessarily so it was a yeah it was a really fascinating process and a real honor to be part of it especially at a time when you know not a lot of people were struggling to do things so i, I felt mm. very privileged to be able to be making a film yeah it must, must have been very unique definitely 
for sure. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things I wanted to ask, because it's something I find somewhat interesting, uh, and if I'm wrong, correct me, but I believe, first off, Kanar is made as in a language you made yourself. It's not a thing that exists, right? That's correct. Yeah, the writer came up with Kanar. Yeah, absolutely. How, how was it not only, I guess, coming up with it, but then also having to implement something that's not actually a thing into the film? I mean, like, because also, I guess... There are other things out there because I think we kept seeing, I can't remember what it's called actually, the Canada, the Indian thing we kept seeing, it kept popping up. Yeah, yeah, we did, we there did some other, this. Yeah, um, there was other languages that are like, yeah, or like other yeah. alphabets. What was it like kind mm-hmm. of making your own and why did you mm-hmm. decide to make your own one rather than kind of go with one that already existed? And how was it like, sort of, how, what was it like working with that sort of thing? Like, obviously, you mentioned that the writer was an interpreter and it came from. It came from that sort of influence, the French um, translation and the French interpretation. But how did how was it working with um, a language that was completely fictional? That must have been uh, quite a challenge. It sounds very hard, but in some ways it's quite easy because mm. you are you become the de facto, you know, expert on how to pronounce <laughs> words in a made up language, right? Mm. So whatever I said was the right way of pronouncing it. You know, well, that's what it was. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, I became the kind of like, well, I'm going to. I mean, it was we wrote it out phonetically, of course. Yeah, but, yeah. And the writer had ideas about how that was pronounced because I mean, she wrote grammar for it. There was grammar. Mm. Like, it was amazing. Um, and it was kind of loosely based around French to some extent, but the mm. way she wrote it was based on languages that use images for their words rather than sounds, which was very yeah. cool. Um, uh, yeah, which we kind of again, kind of came up with because as the de facto mm-hmm. <laughs> experts mm-hmm. in that language. Um, yeah. Canar, of course, is French for duck, which was our yeah. little in joke with ourselves, which is terribly funny. Um, but yeah, no, it was it was really cool because you just kind of you just kind of run with it and you go like, well, I'm the expert in Canar and. As long as everyone's sounding the same and saying the right words, um, it was good. And I think it's quite—I think it's quite kind of liberating in some ways, you know, because it's sort of you make of it what you need it to be for the story, rather mm-hmm. than getting bogged down in the right way of saying things. Yeah, it was, and of it course, was anything in French was really simple because we had a yeah. French speaker on the other end of the phone. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but that was definitely a very unique part of the game. The whole exploratory and the the uh, the book itself, night book itself, um, that came from a place where there's a lot of you know, ancient ancient scriptures, and I'm very much into that whole sort of um, that uh, sort of tribal world where everything is sort of the ancient languages and ancient societies and that sort of stuff. Um, how did you feel sort of uh, taking that on this sort of horror thriller type thing in that sort of the genre itself? Um, good. I think I was really determined to make something that hit hit what it was. So I know it sounds obvious, mm. but like re-deliver on it being a horror film. Um, that was really important to me. I wanted to make sure that people experiencing the game were, you know, are fulfilled when they when they click into the game and they go on and they load it up. They they're getting a really fun, entertaining, and scary, you know, experience. Um, and that was that was my kind of guiding principle. It was, you know, what what is an audience going to 
relate to? What are they going to understand? What are they going to like? Uh, and that's what's so wonderful about, um, I was say, I hope, I hope, we should, hope we achieve that, but what is so wonderful about games as opposed to a movie is because you are so directly, you know, interacting with your audience, you really cannot get away with anything. <laughs> you really have to keep your audience kind of front and centre. And I know that's kind of obvious, but in a film, there's always bits where you see it in films when the when the kind of the filmmaker takes over a little bit from time to time it's it's yeah. the filmmaker being indulgent um which is cool there's there's room for that too and self-expression and, I, and a lot that's great um i just think in games because people are so you know they're participating directly with what the story you're telling there's less room for that but that opens you up to being you know to really honouring and respecting and delivering something for your audience, which I think is really healthy as a, as a creative person. Mm-hmm. So obviously you've mentioned you've done films before and you've done this, especially with it being locked down and you can't kind of um, meet up, you can't do the same thing before. First off, again, I'm, I, you did for Complex, right? Um, so yeah, so yes. Paul Rashid, who directs the complex, yeah, they were on set. Yeah, is it how different is it when you're doing another like interactive thing, being on set and being off set? Is there things that are easier or harder or that sort of thing? Um, well, I've never been on set shooting an interactive, so I would imagine. I mean, look, every every film project, whether it be interactive or otherwise, comes with its challenges. Um, they are unique and specific to the project you're working on. You know, one day you might have setting someone on fire and jumping out of a building, and you know that mm-hmm. comes with its own set of challenges to uh, being in an interactive format. I think, you know, the thing that was difficult, particularly as a director, was that you lose all your nonverbal communication. Mm-hmm. Um, so, sort of techniques and tactics I would employ to you know get the best out of people which are non-verbal how you carry yourself how you sit in relation to people your body language you just don't have any of it it's just just don't have it you just have your head Mm -hmm. and shoulders so you have to be very specific about your direction verbally you know you can't even point at something you can't even go like can you just go stand over there like it, you just can't do it um you know so you just have to be very specific very patient um and of course uh, you can't really help anyone with anything physical you can't yeah. like, if someone's trying to pick something up or you can't make them a cup of tea you know you can't do any of that yeah. um so yeah there were times where someone might be struggling with something to fix something or prep something or wire something up and you kind of sat there going well I would love to come and help you right now but I can't so I'm just gonna sit here (laughs) and patiently offer you moral support um Mm. but that that is a big challenge because I think that's a huge part of building a team you know on a film is is that environment of being able to help and communicate and all the rest of it which you you sort of lose although you know mm-hmm. you find a way and while we've while we've got you here could, can we talk about tear me apart 
for a bit yeah. um, because I want because I know how bad uh, well not how bad I know how challenging let's say a feature film is to make <laughs> and I know it was if I know it was uh, more than four years ago now uh, that Tell Me Apart came out but what was what was that like how long did that take you what was that sort of what was that experience like of directing like a major feature film um, how did how did that sort of shape your experiences when you were directing other projects, especially um, Nightball? Well, first of all, it's very nice if you to call it a major feature film. <laughs> <laughs> I will take that to the bank. Um, yes. No, it was it was it was a challenge. It was very ambitious. We did it on a shoestring. Um, mm -hmm. We all decamped Cornwall. We shot over 25 days. We yeah. were running and gunning. We were very lucky with the weather as you can see from the film. Um, yeah. It was, I think, the hottest summer that Cornwall had had for 10 years or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. The producer, I think, was doing a rain dance every night, um, <laughs> sacrificing various animals to make sure that happened. Um, but yeah, no, it, it was an amazing experience, um, very challenging. Um, and it just, it was a real kind of baptism of fire, really, for... Yeah making a movie i mean so we shot that in 20 yeah i think it was 25 days or we were at least down there for 25 mm -hmm. days whether or not we were shooting every day or not i can't really remember now but you know nightbook was shot in 10 days <laughs> yeah yeah what was that shift like because i know you've, you you made short films before and but going to a first like you know hour hour and a half long film that must have been i can't imagine must have been havoc what was it uh, how, how would you rate the change to say? Oh, it's it's very it's like running a marathon rather than a sprint. You know, with yeah. a short film, you can kind of and, and music videos are done quite a lot of as well. You kind of mm. duck in, get as much as you can, hope for the best, try not to upset too many people on the way, and <laughs> come out and you've got a thing. Mm. With a feature film, you know, you've got a long time. You've got it's just more of a sustained thing you hit more of a rhythm i think with a feature film as a, as a director you kind of slip into a into a rhythm which takes you a bit of time to to get but once you're in it that's what you're trying to keep moving forward um mm -hmm. it is very different you, you're also holding a lot more in your head and you've got to make sure that you are telling i mean it sounds obvious but telling the story really clearly across a long period and yeah Whereas in a short film, you might go like, well, we shot this scene yesterday that is the next scene from the scene we shot today. Um, dog. Mm. There he goes. <laughs> um, so you're trying to hold that in your head. Um, but if you, if that's one thing, but if you shoot a scene that follows on from a scene you shot three weeks ago, mm -hmm. that's a whole different challenge. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's very different. Um, but, but also shooting interactives, you have to shoot very, very fast. You, mm. you have a lot more material to cover in a short amount of time. So mm. um, that's a different challenge again. You have to be, you know, quick on your feet, make fast decisions, confident in what you're doing. Mm. Um, but yeah, Tell Me Part was an interesting mix of ignorance and arrogance, I think, being a young director, like going for it. And I think... Yeah, learn, learn an awful lot and um, yeah, just I just think you get better every time you make one. Yeah, yeah. Is there any, um, I wonder if you could let us into this, is there any sort of, obviously Nightbook um, deals with a lot of 
heavy topics of possession and death. And, mm-hmm. But was there any fun moments? Was there any fun moments when you were just sat and recording and taking the lines? And was there any sort of moments of uh, attention to the were lifted? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, I, I really believe that it is a privilege to make a film. And yeah. it's a real honour to be able to work in this industry and make a living, essentially playing make-believe. Um, mm. And it's really important to me that, yes, like filmmaking is hard and it is also serious and you have to get the work done, but you can have fun doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you sh- we should remember that it's not, you know, we're not creating vaccines for pandemics here we're, we're creating yeah. entertainment so i think it's important to keep these things in perspective and, and enjoy ourselves and take moments to go hey this is really fun then i've just called a focus pool from you know the uk that's being remote operated via yorkshire to paris like mm-hmm. stuff like that you know it's amazing this is what a privilege mm-hmm. um so i like to keep that in perspective because i think it's all too easy as a filmmaker to kind of uh yeah get a bit lost in your own kind of self-importance if you're not careful mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is there is there anything you've learned on the change from um, obviously you talked about this with Tammy apart mm-hmm. but is there anything you've learned on the change from like music videos short films the the feature film and now into this sort of interactive uh interactive sort of video game space almost I mean yeah just I think with with interactives it's, what it's talking about storytelling has been fascinating like you really have to know your stuff when it comes to stories because it's not like you're you can't really just rely on the writer to have figured it out and mm. you execute it in one go and you kind of go well look if i shoot it it'll work more or less mm-hmm. you really have to understand where you are in the story what what is what is this beat about from a story craft perspective because i might be doing that beat in three or four different ways mm-hmm um so if i'm at a midpoint of a story well yeah fine the midpoint's a midpoint but if i'm doing that in three different ways i have to identify that these are all midpoints they're all doing the same thing structurally for the story and therefore they each need to be treated like a midpoint um yeah so that stuff's fascinating and you know understanding the structure of of storytelling and applying that to then a branching narrative yeah just like amazing i mean the thought of doing a linear film now is like wow that would be really easy of course it wouldn't be easy but <laughs> you know especially with that um as you said that almost non-linear narrative of the branching paths and you think that was that difficult to cover in a way where go right okay laurel has to make this decision but if she goes this way this happens and this and this has to happen but if she goes this way this happens and then she has this scene with this character and do you think that was how was that to uh, sort of to cover and um, to direct, especially? It was kind of weird because often when you, you know, if you shoot something linear, you'll do another take, right? And you go, mm. that was great, let's do another take, cool. In this case, it was great, that was really good, let's do another take. But also, can you say different lines this time? <laughs> um, which was confusing. Um, mm. There were lots of very long and protracted conversations over which hand someone was holding something in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Based on where they'd come from and what they were doing previously. Mm. Um, you know, where we were, two two of us, well, certainly the crew really getting into it, like, right, where? So she, she was here, she did this, she had a phone in that hand, and then we did, and Julie, to her credit, was 
unbelievable were her own continuity. I mean, I, I don't understand how she did it because she'd be holding all of that in her head and smashing out truthful, amazing performances, take after take after take, and doing her own camera stuff <laughs> and not having anyone there to, yeah, you know, mm. she was amazing. But um, yeah, it, it's certainly a challenge to hold all that in your head. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's very interesting, especially because the actors sort of on their own in the same way that you are, where you have to like they have to know what to do and and where to stand and where they were standing and what they were holding. So it must have been. Um, again, you speak on this sort of collaborative effort, even though you're in different places. Do you think that? Um, do you think there was any? Obviously, you mentioned that um, you can't really support people on set, but there are there are ways to um, still direct through that medium. So what did you think of um, that experience for you? I mean, in some ways, there's, there's some things about it that were very similar to shooting. Mm -hmm. You know, like when you direct in person, you will often have a monitor that you're looking through to see what you're shooting, right? So mm -hmm. that wasn't different. My monitor just happened to be on a Zoom call. So you'd be looking at a Zoom and one of the frames in Zoom would look very well lit with someone who was much better looking than the rest of us um mm. a normal person you know um who wasn't looking quite as tired and ragged and yeah um so in that sense that was quite normal the the other thing is the kind of um the the, the acting craft i guess the stuff the, the the notes about objectives and and you know uh, intentions and all normal stuff that directors mm -hmm. do in, in relation to performance that still held fine like that was that was a thing that you can do over Zoom. That's not a big deal. Yeah. Um, we have quite a lot of sort of movement-based scenes in the film. Um, mm -hmm. sort of mm -hmm. Green flashing light. Yeah. Um, which I wanted to sort of create a thing out of you know the limitations we, <laughs> we had. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and that was really interesting because I would be on a one-on-one -on -one call in a rehearsal with whoever it was, the actor whichever actor it was and we'd be doing a movement session except I'd be in this room and they'd be in their room and we'd mm -hmm. be dancing around our respective spaces like lunatics I think if anyone had looked in through my window they would have been like what on earth are they doing <laughs> um but that's you know that was all part of it um yeah it, you just sort of make do and, and mend I suppose you, you you figure out what you can and can't do and, and roll with it yeah I, I say, I've just thought of one thing, right? You know how if you do a film, mm -hmm. and let's say you can't, can't think of it, you've got two endings, you shot both endings, you can't pick. And oh. so you screen two people, you get a screen, and you get people to fill out, you like this ending, or people as the other ending, and they write down what they think. Did you do the same thing for the two choices? Like, how did you, did you show this to anyone? Because obviously, if it's non-linear, they can just watch something, and that's it. But if, if you're there making choices in a game, is it a similar thing of you go, right, that people are going to watch that choice, they're going to watch that one, or did you get people to pick? And that sort of thing. Because it must be a, many different ways of doing something which in a linear film is just get people in a room and they watch something and they write it down. Yeah, I mean, the beauty of this is that you'd like to think that people can choose their own thing that they want to do, right? So to some extent, yeah. you kind of don't have to worry so much about what the ending is going to be because mm -hmm. you do, you have to make it satisfying. But 
people are going to lead themselves to the endings that they want. So that kind of thing, that goes out the window. In terms of the choice points and the decision points, you know, look, we work really hard on them. And um, fortunately for me, uh, Goodgate and Wells Interactive, this isn't their first rodeo, right? So there was a lot of learning to be done there. Um, and they were amazing at imparting their knowledge and wisdom about the interactive uh, movie space, which is an amazing new and evolving format where we're still trying to learn how it works, what people like, you know, it's really, really new. So I think in truth, the learnings from previous projects are the ones that informed this one. And, you know, we will see how this goes and how people respond to that and what they like and what they don't like, what they understand, don't understand, etc., or relate to, don't relate to. And we will take that knowledge forward to try and do bigger and better things with it, really. Yeah. Um, it's so exciting to be at sort of not the birth of a new format because we know it's it's a resurgence of an old format, but in this kind of renaissance of FMV games where it's quite unpoliced. There aren't many of them. So we're kind of mm. we're sort of making it up as we go along over here yeah. um, and learning as much as we can as we go. So it's really exciting. Mm. Uh, only a couple more things now. First of all, have you have you played the game that you directed? Many times. Okay. And how did you do? I'm just going to ask. We've both played it. I've yes. uh, played it a couple of times. Corey's played it about three or four times. Um, how did you do you think that it worked when you were playing it back? Did you like spot things? You feel like, oh, maybe this could have been uh, improved. Do you sort of, um, when you were playing it yourself, how did you, how did you find it? I think there's a bit of a curse as a director, which is <laughs> that you, you work on something so much, you get to the point where you start seeing things that are so obscure, <laughs> you know, there's an amazing podcast where someone watched Night at the Museum every every week for a year. I don't know if you've heard about this. Oh, mm-hmm. And um, the things they start seeing in it and discussing, and I was like, yeah, I completely I get that. You know, we go on other films, I'm sure you get, you know, a year into post-production, you go, why have we not spotted that boom mic until now? Yeah. And it's because you're so bored of watching it because you've watched it for a year that your eyes just start looking at the top right of the screen and you go, oh, there's a boom mic and oh, it's a person in the background and oh, that's interesting. Um, so yeah, unfortunately, you only get the opportunity to watch something for the first time once. Um, mm. And that's not something you get to do as a director. Um, so you're relying a hell of a lot on your team, people around you, the producer, you know, um, Wells Interactive, do do some testing to see what's working, not work, not working so well, what is working well. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, th- I have, I've done well. I know how to do well at that game. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know in principle what I need to do to win, whether I can remember to or not. Because that's the other thing that happens when you make a film, you make it and then you sort of finish it and you, everything exits your head and you go. Yeah. Um, so I'm looking forward to a time where I can go back and play it um, when I sort of forgotten enough about it that I can sort of sort of begin to enjoy watching it for the first time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and final thing now, is there anything you're working on at the moment? Just to, if you can give us anything, is there anything that like, you've got in the pipeline as it were? Yeah, so we have another interactive um, movie in development at the moment. And um, that's currently sort of a late stage of scripting. 
uh, but I can't say much more than that at this stage. Oh, well, very intriguing indeed. Um, <laughs> we thank you very much for your time, Alex, uh, speaking to us today. So um, thank you very much. I'm sure Corey would like to extend his thanks also. You, it's, Corey. Been, it's been good. It's been good. I mean, yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. It's been very nice to chat. Yes, you're, you're perfectly welcome. <laughs>